0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network.
1: Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to betfredsports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sonic has something delicious for you. Hey, announcer guy, that's your cue. Try the new Sonic Steak and Bacon Grilled Cheese. Savory steak mixed with grilled onions topped with crispy bacon and melty American cheese, plus creamy mayo and tangy barbecue sauce. Or try it spicy with zesty cheese sauce and jalapenos.
2: Well, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely craving that previously mentioned thing.
1: Sonic Steak and Bacon Grilled Cheese. Mmm, Sonic. Limited time only of participating Sonic Drive-Ins.
2: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with L.D., Will the Thrill, and T.J. Two.
3: Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, L.D., along with me for the ride, as always, is Will the Thrill.
4: And to that I say greetings and salutations.
3: Oh, that's a sip. What are you drinking? I am drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, as I as, uh, and again, not to detract too much, but I am preparing to run a marathon in early June. And this is the part of training where you're running about 40 miles a week. So
3: if I were to have alcohol, I could very well fall asleep. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right. And our other, our third, but not the third. He was the first. He was the trailblazer. We have Mr. TJ2, the deuce. Oh, and what are you drinking? That's not coffee.
0: That is not coffee. Uh, <laughs> that is old, reliable. It's just a Schaeferbach.
3: Oh, nice. Good stuff. Anyway, how have uh, how have you been, T? Good,
0: doing good. Cool, cool. Just uh, you know, absorbing the all the all the Michael goodness.
3: Well, there is a light at the end of the tunnel because we are in the nineties, and we we pretty much accelerate a little bit today. <gasps> so,
0: and the light at the end of the tunnel is uh a stage that michael jackson is performing on 15 episodes
3: (laughs) (laughs) well we'll get there this year i swear we'll we'll end this episode we'll end the series this year i promise we will end the series this year i promise yeah so uh moving on to uh you know unfortunate news now i will go ahead and say guys We know a lot of people passed away this week and we have posted all of them on our social media, but uh, in benefit of the show, not running over two hours every single time, uh, Or
0: or it being a full half hour till we get to actual content like we did last week.
3: Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. We would just like to highlight one really sad passing. And I think because number one we're from the south we were number two we're raised on this music and number three like it she was such a force in the music industry so i'm gonna actually turn it over to t so that we can honor the memory of someone that we lost just yesterday
0: yesterday as we record this on sunday yes naomi judd um part of the i honest to goodness one of the three or four biggest duos in music history i'm guessing the mother-daughter duet the judds with daughter winona yeah um if you know much about her life story, that she achieved what she did and got where she got is kind of amazing given where she started and the struggles that she had to deal with to get there.
3: And I think this, that, that she has a lot in common with our next series, which is Tammy Wynette. Cor- correct. But I mean, that's just,
0: you want like the textbook definition of uh, uh, of a strong woman overcoming just the inherent sexism that existed in the music industry then and it may, may still um but it was really bad then and came from nothing and i mean the judge were just a freaking powerhouse in the 80s and into the early 90s before her health kind of uh precip- you know kind of necessitated she come off the road and everything but i remember it wasn't um what was the CMT version of Behind the Music? Was it like Inside Fame or something?
3: Uh, was it the tour bus one?
0: Well, no, no, it's not the tour bus one. This was the CMT thing. I think it was called Inside Fame. It was sort of a country behind the music. They did one on the Judds, and they had Garth Brooks talking about the first time he heard the Judds. Like, he was doing whatever he's doing, and Mama, Mama, he's crazy, comes on the radio or something. He said, like, he, he literally, like, stopped and stared at the radio, just stared at it. And just point and pointed and said, what in the hell is
3: that? Like
0: he was so struck by the, just the sound the I mean, just. uh, Their artistry by their, their, their sound by the, the song that he was just absolutely floored. And a lot of people obviously were like that. So, Um, and I think she was, she was an author and uh, was involved in a lot of things. So that's, that's a, a, a tough loss. And unfortunately her death came a day before she was to be inducted into the country music hall of fame. So.
3: Yeah. And I mean I remember mom making me learn Love Can Build a Bridge to do at her showcase. So like I was that
0: that was like a song everybody sang until Hero came out. I'm guessing. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Yes. No, well, I think it was that and one moment in time. Ah, okay. Give me one moment in time. I went secure with that. I don't know why. Probably should have cleared my throat too. But yeah, no, it's the we have lost a pioneer we've lost a mother we've lost a beautiful vocalist powerhouse and i mean it's a sad day in music you know it's it's one of those things where you're just like she's always been a part of my life yeah and it's scary because we're getting to that age where we're starting to lose our heroes you know we've lost we lost you know comedic giants we've lost meatloaf we lost. And I don't like getting to this age. Can we stop for like
0: Yeah, that was that's yeah, not fun. But of course the alternative isn't isn't really any better. So which um, is that you join them and that you become podcast eligible. Um, oh, true. Yes. So um, yeah, that's just the you know, but you know what? I saw I don't know if it was an actual picture or a meme that's gone around a lot lately it's it's a picture of eddie van halen in the studio holding up a little sign that said i'm always with you just push play oh so i would say that definitely applies in the case of the judge
3: don't make me sad you
0: know music lives forever it's always there we all we all we always have a piece of those artists because they 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 left us you know a terrific gift
3: i'm gonna say that's like the most profound thing that you've ever said wow ever (laughs) (laughs) like maybe
0: and i probably and i probably stole it from somebody i'm sure i didn't think about in fact i'll almost guarantee you i stole it from somebody all
3: right well they they have not given her official cause of death but basically what they were saying was i think the quote was something like i lost my mother to mental illness so we're not even going to speculate on what that means, but
0: and she was actually she was actually one of the first people I remember openly talking about struggling with with um mental with mental health issues that I, and, I that I can recall.
3: And I'm and I love the idea that now there isn't this taboo around talking about your mental struggles and and how people deal with it. They, be it through, you know, therapy or pills or whatever. You know, it's it's normalizing what works for you to help you feel fulfilled and good. Like, and, and, and I'm not gonna say like, oh, it makes you feel better. The thing is, you know, that's completely subject, like, subjective. But what is normal? What is feeling better? And this talk around, you know, mental health and normalizing it makes it so much better for everybody. Because you realize like, oh, it's not, there's not the stigma attached to asking for help now. And I think that's really important. And so, you know, for her to be open about mental health issues, that was, that was being a pioneer, especially when she did it, you know, because there was that taboo about talking about it like oh we don't talk about that
0: which is still there in some ways it
3: is but i think this is one of those moments where i'm going to do a a segue into actually how you do that so let's hear the and 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 i'm not saying like we've you know we we sold out but uh let's take a listen to our sponsor really quick which is better help thank you better help for for sponsoring the show we really appreciate it and If you're ready to take that next step, BetterHelp can help. So I'm going to pass it over to Will, and uh, he can let you know a little bit about what they're offering our listeners.
4: Thank you, LD. This episode of the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. And this is something that I know a bit about. Everyone, no matter where they are in life, needs a little help sometimes. We spend hours working on the things that we're convinced are important, but at the end of the day, are we focusing on our mental health? And as you said earlier, sometimes that's a subject that's very hard to approach, and I know this because I went through it myself. I was doing all these things in my life, and at the end of the day, it just wasn't right. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know where to turn and we were in the middle of a global pandemic. That didn't really help either. So what I found out is that I was feeling disconnected and I didn't know I had somebody to talk to. Fortunately, BetterHelp was there for me. BetterHelp allows you to get the specific help you need for whatever is eating away at you. They ask you targeted questions that will set you up with the right therapist to talk about, honestly, whatever you want. And I think that's the best part. You can cover big topics. You can cover small topics. Mental health is not the same for everybody, and that's the approach that is embraced by BetterHelp. In fact, they will set you up with a licensed counselor in your areas in under 48 hours. Plus, it is virtual, folks. It's all done through the BetterHelp app, which is absolutely amazing. No more trying to find an office in the Yellow Pages, for those who are really going back there to the time when we had Yellow Pages. No more driving to an office, sitting there awkwardly paying for parking. It's just all that hassle is relieved as you do your therapy from home with a counselor. That's the best suited to talk to you. That's why I'm very proud to be a BetterHelp client and we are very proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp on this podcast. And as LD said, we got a great special for our listeners. You can get up to 10% off your first month of professional therapy at BetterHelp.com with our code. Simply go to BetterHelp.com rockheaven Again, that's BetterHelp.com dot com slash rock heaven and get 10% off your first month. I want to say a special thank you to better and thank you for everything that they've done for not only me, but all the individuals they have helped all over. Thank you for sponsoring this podcast. Better help means better
3: life. All right. Thank you. Um, all right. So are we ready to dive into Michael Jackson part 18? <laughs> oh yeah. Let's keep it going. Indeed. All right, I will say guys, there is a light. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We well, I mean, man, uh, there's an end in sight. Maybe I should say that. I have been really bad with similes and metaphors on this show later like. Yes, it, terrible. You, it was yes, like,
0: you you have been terrible with it.
3: I am I'm the worst. I'm not good at that.
0: I think my favorite was uh, he had a uh, song that was on the charts for 14 weeks. Why? That was practically like birthing a baby. <laughs>
3: Really, because I was thinking, oh, this this was uh, about to pop like a, a champagne cork. <laughs> we were talking right. about like the riots. I'm sorry, I am I'm not the writer in the family. That's that's my brother. He's actually, you know, educated on this stuff. Me, I'm a casting producer. <laughs> like I don't need to write. Oh wait, I write this podcast. Oh crap. Oh, All right. and metaphors.
0: Just tighten those up a little. Otherwise, you're fine.
3: <laughs> Great, thank you. Well, um, th- th- there is an end in sight. We actually make it, I think, all the way to the end of 1996 at this episode. So um, so when we left off, Michael had been dealing with the court case involving the Chandlers, and he had that bombshell interview with Oprah. You guys remember that, correct? Yes, yes, I do. Yes.
4: Okay. Yep, yep. Yeah,
3: yeah. So at the very tail end of that, I told you that he had ended up asking Lisa Marie to marry him, and that's where we're going to pick up this week. Uh, Now, there is some history, like I told you guys last week, he had history with Lisa Marie in the past. They had known each other since 1974, and the two of them had met at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas during one of the Jacksons' tenures there. Um, She was six, and he was 16, and so there's that ten-year age gap, but Elvis took Lisa Marie, and she actually prefers just Lisa, so uh, if I referred to her just as Lisa, that's actually her preferred name, so... But Elvis took her to the show because she was a massive fan of the Jackson 5, and she had always liked him. And Michael fascinated me with his talent. She said, I love watching him dance. Uh, He wanted to know me better, and I always kind of thought he was sort of freakish. So I didn't want to know him any better than I already did. Now, in 1988, Lisa married a musician, and she was actually already pregnant with their first child, uh, Danielle Riley. And she was born the following year. Their relationship would last six years. And they had another son named Benjamin, who was born in 1993. In February of 1993, Lisa and Michael were brought together at a private dinner in Los Angeles at the home of Brett Livingston Stone, who was a mutual friend. At this time, Lisa had actually recorded four songs produced by her husband, and she felt like she had a lot to say about her life because she was the daughter of an icon. And the biggest thing about Lisa Marie's singing career was that She was really afraid of being compared to her father and failing at that comparison. So at that dinner, Lisa played some tapes that she had uh, brought with her to that, to that party. And Michael was blown away. He told her, you have a real talent and a fine voice. You could be a star. Let me see what I can do for you. At the end of the party, when Michael was leaving, he gave Lisa a strange look and said, you and me, we could get into a lot of trouble. Think about that girl, which is weird, but I mean, okay, flex how you want. And along the way
0: did he, did he then ask her, did, did he then ask her if she was tired because she had been running through his dreams all night?
3: He asked her if she were a meteor because he must have she must have fallen from the heavens.
0: Are you a speeding ticket? Because you got written all over you. <laughs> Come on, girl, let me get that math. As I once heard a young man say to a young lady,
3: let me get that math.
0: Yeah, her phone like her phone number, I guess.
3: Uh, okay, weird. I liked our pickup lines better.
0: Yeah, they're much better.
3: They're much better now. All right. So the thing is they actually sparked a surprising friendship because they would actually talk on the phone almost every day and they had very similar backgrounds. They had both been sheltered and protected from the real world and they felt like they had missed out on their childhood and they were often mistrustful of outsiders and they had spent most of their lives being exploited by outsiders. Also, she was raised in Graceland, and he lived in Neverland. And so on some strange level, they actually understood each other. Now, I should point out, at this time, Lisa Murray is still married. Now, in 1993, Michael began to date Lisa sort of intermittently when molestation allegations surfaced, uh, which we went into detail on the last episode. So if you haven't heard what happened uh, in 1993, pause this, go back to that episode, make sure to listen to that one because that that lays out everything that happened. Michael's relationship with Lisa became more of an urgent matter to him. And a lot of people think that if it hadn't been for the allegations... Lisa may have never become anything more than like a good friend or they'd have like a a, like a non-committal relationship, kind of like he had with Brooke Shields and Tatum O'Neill. However, after Michael began the second leg of his dangerous tour and the investigations intensified, he began to depend on Lisa for emotional support. He would call her desperate and alone from overseas. And all these calls, she would attempt to perk him up by giving him what would be considered good advice. Uh, and he grew to depend on her and their relationship seemed to solidify. I was in on the beginning of the molestation stuff and I was getting phone calls and he was telling me that it was extortion. I believed him at the time. I mean, I was convinced he was freaking out and I believed that he didn't do anything wrong. And I believed that he was being wrongly accused. And yes, I did start to fall for him. I wanted to save him and I felt like I could do it. Though Lisa Marie was still married at the time, Jackson asked her to be his wife on a whim one late night in 1993. Michael valued Lisa's settling effect on him so much so that during a phone conversation, he popped the question, and that surprised both of them. A biographer Jay Randy Terbanelli wrote in his book. Michael Jackson, the magic, the madness, the whole story said, If I ask you to marry me, would you do it without missing a beat? She replied, I would do it. So I realized that we never really got a conclusive answer on what happened to the Chandler investigation. So we sort of, we just kind of sort of ended it. And here's where the button gets put on it January 25th, 1994, Jackson settled with the Chandlers and agreed to pay them $22 million. Now, this number, is contested i have heard 22 million i have heard 15 million i have heard 23 million 20 million there are a lot of numbers we are going to settle on 22 okay after months of negotiation jackson chose to settle the molestation case out of court with 50 million set aside for jordan in a trust when he turned 18 june and evan chandler each received 1.5 million and then the remaining money went to chandler's legal team so it's weird because I thought when you settled out of court, typically it was there's was a gag order and NDA. So I that's I possibly why there is not really a, a settled number that people are throwing out there because that it's not actually known because I found I'm not kidding, I found four different numbers for the settlement case
2: they has got to
4: be speculation. I mean, there's no other way around it unless somebody blabbed and there's stuff going on. Yeah, that you don't I'm know
0: absolutely sure. It, one of the uh, conditions of that settlement would have been not to talk about it,
3: but... Yeah. Now, on February, from February to April of 1994, a grand jury declined to indict Jackson. So grand juries in both Santa Barbara and Los Angeles were president with the prosecution's case against Jackson, including testimony from both Jordan and June Chandler, but declined to indict attorneys said the case remained open. But in July, Jordan told the prosecutors that he would refuse to testify at trial in September, Santa Barbara's district attorney, Thomas Snedden and Los Angeles, a name that we should know the Los Angeles district attorney at the time, Gil Garcetti. Do we all know Gil Garcetti? I think you do. I do know Gil Garcetti. And uh, his son. And his son. Uh, well, Eric Garcetti is our current mayor of Los Angeles. Correct, and then Gil was his father, and Gil was involved in a very high-profile case around the same time, which might have been why they declined to indict. um, Along with the fact that Jordan would not testify, but he was, uh, I believe, neck deep in the O.J. Simpson by nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, the O.J. Simpson case was well. This is ninety-four.
4: Yeah, I am saying in 93 was the OJ incident and then the, the trial carried on beyond that.
3: So I think he might've had his plate full with that, which might have helped kind of, you know, get this like, the, oh, you don't have enough evidence. Oh, you've got this. Oh, you got like, there's there's probably enough presented at a pre-trial that they were like, oh, we don't need to indict him on this. But yeah, I actually had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Gil Garcetti. And I think he was actually mildly relieved that all I wanted to do was talk to to him about art because I think, you know, ever since like 1994, his whole life has just been OJ Simpson and what happened to that case because he was, he was, you know, the district attorney for the state, for the, for the County of Los Angeles. And that was who brought up the charges against OJ Simpson. So I think he was just relieved that all I wanted to do was talk about art with him and not actually focus anything on his career as the district attorney, because he had lived his entire life in that. But yeah, his son, Eric, is the current mayor, and I don't mind him. I mean, he's got flaws just like everybody else, but he's not like the worst thing that ever happened to Los Angeles.
4: He gets fined for watering his lawn when he shouldn't. Oh, no. Yeah, that's the the, the water restrictions, and he got, he got pinged with a fine.
3: Well, I mean, good, but did he pay the fine? Probably. Uh, with our tax money, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sad. Um, you know Gill admitted their 18 month investigation had failed to produce incriminating evidence and without Jordy's cooperation they couldn't file criminal charges against Jackson. So Jordy went on to attain legal emancipation from both of his parents. June testified at Jackson's 2005 trial, which we will get to probably next episode. Oh my gosh. And said that she had not spoken to her son in 11 years. Now this one's a trigger warning for everyone um when when it comes to suicide evan chandler closed his dental practice in 1994 and then uh committed suicide in 2009 the same year that jackson died oh jeez. yeah So after and then again, after reaching a settlement with Chandler's Family 94, Jackson fast tracked his romance with the Memphis, Tennessee native who had officially separated from her husband that May. The couple took a trip to Vegas and to Florida before jetting off to the Dominican Republic where they were married in an off the cuff ceremony just 20 days after she finalized her divorce. So in May of 1994, they eloped in a 15-minute ceremony in La Vega in the Dominican Republic on May 26th. They both wore all black, and the groom accessorized with a cowboy belt and a flamenco hat. Jackson said that the wedding felt empty. According to his biographer, it was because his mother Catherine was not there, but knew that they had to be low-key, otherwise the press would have had a fiasco. In August of 1994, the newlyweds took a trip to Budapest where they visited a children's hospital on August the 6th. During the time in the Hungarian capital, Michael also worked on videos for the History album. Now, this is from an article which I will link in the description, so if you want to, you know, go check out the whole article, you are more than welcome to. So she said, my married name is Miss Lisa Marie Presley Jackson. My marriage to Michael took place in a private ceremony outside the US a few weeks ago. The bride later announced in a statement to the media, I am very much in love with Michael and I've dedicated my life to being his wife. I understand and support him and we both look forward to raising a family. From there, the newlyweds flaunted their union all over town, most famously, and we'll get to this. Uh, in just a sec, they kissed on the stage of the MTV Video Music Awards in September of 1994. Now, does anybody remember that actually happening? I there was sure
4: a, do. There's a photo of it, I think. It went pretty widespread, no?
3: No, the video was just. The video, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, the video is so cringy. I don't it's know. Super
0: cringy beyond. That is the most forced.
3: It's extremely
4: awkward.
0: It is. That's the most awkward looking kiss I've ever seen. I've I've been to county fairs where people lost bets and had to like kiss pigs and it looked less awkward.
4: Looked more organic
0: than that. Yeah. Yes. There there seemed to be more genuine passion between person and pig than there were between them.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, it was awkward. And I'll kind of tell you why. Now I'm sure that most of you guys have seen the video or you watched it live, which if I remember... To actually do it, I will try to link it onto our social media uh, if I can find it, which I'm pretty sure I can. It's pretty easily available, you know, especially even like back then it got replayed and replayed and replayed. So it would shock me if it's not on like YouTube somewhere, but I'll try to find it. Now, when when they did the the MTV music awards, Michael told her, I'm gonna kiss you when we get out there. And she said, Oh no, you're not. And Michael thought that she was just like doing cute little banter back and forth. And Lisa Marie was not kidding. She said, no, Michael, language warning coming up. That's bullshit. Absolutely not. I do not want to do that. He retorted, oh, sure you do. It'll be great. An hour later, when they walked out on stage to thunderous applause, holding hands, Lisa didn't know when the kiss was going to happen, but he, but but she knew that he was going to do it because at this time, and this is a quote, by that time, I had realized that he does whatever he wants to do, end quote. So... If you can remember what that kiss looked like, it looked real awkward. And that was because Lisa Marie said that she was about to crawl out of her own skin. She said that she hates it and that it made her feel like a prop. Afterwards, they had a huge fight. She was pissed at him for days and she said, and more language warnings. So if you don't, if you have a little one, skip ahead 10 seconds. She said... Don't you fucking even come near me now. He was dealing with a lot at this time, like Michael Jackson usually is. So his wife is mad at him for this thing that he did at the the music awards, which was not it wasn't a great look. It would have been better if they had just come out holding hands, like looking yeah. like a united front. But like the right. fact that he kissed her, you could see how awkward it looked. And I think she even like wipes her her mouth off at one point and it just seemed like oh my god this is so this is so contrived like you could tell Mm -hmm. that it was contrived very and uh but the thing is they actually had genuine love for each other they had a mutual respect for each other for everything that they had to go through so it was like you know if you had just let this happen organically maybe it wouldn't have looked so awkward but you know this is what almost 30 years ago so hindsight 2020 again so of course he was dealing with a lot anyway because his wife is super mad at him but uh he was also pretty annoyed by a newspaper article suggesting that if elvis presley were still alive he would not be okay with this union and at one point michael even suggested that he should maybe hold a seance to see if he could contact elvis and see if he'd be okay
0: <laughs> jokes on them elvis wasn't dead <laughs> maybe that's why they couldn't reach him yeah
3: he, he told her that he had friends who could communicate with the deceased, and that would make it possible for him and Lisa to talk to Elvis and, you know, go to the big man and see what his opinion on the matter was. And Lisa lashed out and said that if you keep pushing the subject, that she was going to make sure that he could talk to Elvis because she was going to kill him herself. And he never mentioned the idea again. <laughs>
4: Wise decision. Yes, I would say so.
3: Yeah. So behind closed doors, they were struggling in part due to his addiction to painkillers, which we really haven't talked about because I thought we might get into that a little bit more when it actually comes to, you know, what happened to him in the last year of his life. I figured we'd end up touching more on that, but apparently it was a real problem. Uh, His addiction to painkillers that he had been prescribed a decade prior for the second degree burns he had suffered on the Pepsi commercial. Nine months later in June, 1995, Lisa and Michael were interviewed by Dateline by reporter Diane Sawyer. And you guys remember how rare it is for Michael to give interviews. And this is 1995. The last interview that he actually gave on camera was to Oprah in 1993. So you know these big gaps without him coming into the public eye in a, a formal manner like that.
4: And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's only going to get more infrequent,
0: correct?
3: Yeah. Pretty much. As, as we well, the- you
0: know, I don't know if the, you ever were able to get to it because you, I know you, you had a, a bajillion um, sources. There's a story that's out there that Michael Jackson and his manager actually approached Howard Stern. Really? Not about an interview, but about him beginning to sort of advocate on Michael's behalf that, you know, that he he was clearly innocent and that people should believe him and all, all this kind of stuff. And he, in his book, um, uh, what's the second one? Miss America. In his second book, he actually, there's a whole chapter where he details it and it's bizarre. I mean, I you know, it's, you, you can decide whether you think it's true or not, but he said that, you know, they he was taken, he was sort of summoned to, Uh, an apartment, and it was Michael and his manager, and that Michael, his face was wrapped in such a way that it looked like perhaps his nose had collapsed at that point, Uh because you've you've actually, you've you've alluded to that, the fact that the, the structure of his nose may have at some point been compromised from multiple surgeries or whatever right uh and that that the entire meeting was bizarre and that when michael wanted to go to the bathroom he wanted his manager to hold his hand and walk him to the bathroom and howard ended up saying well no i'm not going to do that i'm not going to i'm I'm not going to just advocate on your behalf what you should do is come on my show for an interview come on my show my listeners know it'll be the most listened to thing in the history of radio my listeners know that i'm honest and you know and, and and all that kind of stuff so if you come on and you can stand up to my questioning, then they'll definitely believe you. And he parted company saying he felt like it was going to happen. And then a couple of weeks later it was announced that Michael and Lisa Marie were going to do this interview with Diane Sawyer instead. So interesting. Take 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 that for what it's worth, yeah. But they approached him, correct? They approached. They approached Howard. Howard said, uh-huh. "Yes." Okay, interesting. You, and if you've anybody, if you if, if you want to go look it up, it's, I don't know if excerpts of it are online, but it was in his book, uh, Miss, his second book, Miss America.
3: Interesting. I wonder if I could find an article about that, and then maybe link it for our, our listeners, because that would be Probably very- I'm, I'm yeah. sure you could
0: find a, an excerpt or a story about it or something online.
3: Yeah, which is weird because I, I <laughs> you guys know how much how much research I've done for this. <laughs> and, I'm like, I'm shocked. I haven't come across that story, but like, again, there's like a million stories about Michael and, and his behavior and, you know, run-ins with certain people. And so it's just, it's so much. And of course, like even with a 20 part series on Michael Jackson, I can't fit everything in. If I did, we would just have a podcast about Michael Jackson and it would never end. So some things have to be left out, but hopefully maybe I can find a, a copy of that portion of the book and share it with our listeners. Cause that would be awesome.
0: Hey LD, I hate to interrupt you, but we do need to take a quick pause to hear from our sponsors. And we're back.
3: All right. Hope you guys found some great deals and back on to Michael Jackson. The thing with Michael is that he was very shy when it came to the press and giving interviews, but you'd actually be kind of hard pressed to find anything about Lisa Marie because she was afraid of the country looking at her like, oh, poor little rich girl. Like anything that she had, like any kind of hardships that she had had in her life. Like she was the daughter of Elvis. He had given her everything. Like he, and I know it's not that fashion now, but in you know '76 it was. But he would give her fur coats and like jewelry and she was lavish her whole life. And she was just afraid that, you know, the general public hearing her side of the story would think, oh, is she complaining about literally anything? She was given everything as a child. And so that wasn't really the case. And that really wasn't true of her now that she was an adult. And after years of therapy through Scientology, she had come to terms with her celebrity we are not going to talk about Scientology kids, all right?
4: That's a podcast in and of itself. That's
3: that's about 16 different podcasts in and of itself. And um, I don't want to piss anybody off. <laughs> so we're just not going to talk about Scientology. Now, she would say my best trait is that I don't put a front on for anybody. I'm honest. Scientology has helped me a lot. It teaches you to stay what we call clean to understand that your feelings and not hold things in. Yeah, I've had a difficult life in some ways, but I've gotten through it and I've done all right for myself. Other pressing questions were answered during this interview. And again, there's questions about whether or not they were sexually active. Yes, they do sleep together, she said. In fact, uh, Presley replied in the quarter of the hour, do we have sex? She asked, anticipating Sawyer's answer. Yes, 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 Presley replied. Uh, Sawyer got around the owns of asking such a tabloidy question by playing tape sign bites from Jackson's fans who said that was the thing that they wanted to know the most which is creepy because you that means you sent a camera crew out into the streets to ask random people whether or not they wanted to know if Jackson was having sex earlier
4: because that's what people
3: want to know I don't I don't want to know who is having sex. I, I don't. Uh, number one, it's like literally the most intimate thing about a person is their sex life. And it's the most private thing about people. And I don't think that's a question that needs to be asked. I mean, it's you're 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 being creepy. It's a creepy question. So earlier, Sawyer and Jackson had uh, had very tough questions about the rumors that he sexually molested a 13-year-old who was silenced with a multi-million dollar payment. Never, ever, Jackson said of the, uh, the allegations, I could never harm a child. I'm not even interested in that. How much money was paid to settle the civil suit? The terms of the agreement are very confidential. See? Confidential. Like how do, that's why like, landing on a number would be pertinent near impossible unless somebody leaked it. And at that point it would be null. We need to get a lawyer in on this to tell us the, the legality of that. Cause I'm pretty sure like when you settle a case, it's done in secrecy.
0: That can be a condition that's attached to an agreement. There's a non-disclosure,
3: but you would think like with him, especially there would be oh, a for sure. So
0: I don't know if this is the, the numbers you saw or guesses, estimates, secondhand info or somebody blacked. you know?
3: Yeah. I don't And the thing is, I think a lot of it's speculation because it went as high as, you know, 23 and it went as low as 15 million. But
0: that's, you know, very much like um, Huey Lewis's lawsuit against Ray Parker Jr. for, you know, supposedly ripping off. I want a new drug for Ghostbusters. There, there was a settlement and I, I think there was a non-disclosure agreement. And many, many, many years later, Huey apparently said something in an interview he shouldn't have. And I think Ray Parker Jr. sued him back.
3: Yeah, because so. that's part of that's that's I actually think that was the case I was thinking about when I was like, but wait, isn't there, you know, this this caveat attached to it that says, like, you can't talk about it ever or you have to, like, return the money, which. I mean, I feel like, yeah, that's I, I feel like no one breached that so far, and that's why people are just like guessing how much it was, because remember, we were talking about this last week where Evan went. To Michael and was like, hey, I'll settle this for 20 million. He was like, no, I'll give you this much. And then Evan was like, no, I want this much. And he was like, well, I'll give you this much. And then he kept lowering the price. And that's why I'm like, maybe people are kind of taking off that 20 million that was initially talked about with the Chandler case. And maybe they they just took that and ran with it. So I don't know. I don't know anything about it. And the, and those those documents are sealed. So Hopping back over to Diane Sawyer, uh, he also said that all kinds of kids had slept in his room. And when Sawyer tried to get him to promise there'd be no sleepovers, he declined. He says it's moral and it's pure. It's all pure, he said. Uh Presley said that children love Michael so much that they even follow him to the bathroom. I mean, weird, but okay. Sawyer didn't merely gloss over the myriad of sorry tales about Jackson and his bedroom activities. She spent most of the first half of the interview on them. This is obviously to dispel suspicions that she had been lobbing softballs so the program would make a nice, polite plug for Jackson's forthcoming album. Well, she didn't lob softballs, but, you know, a polite plug was still pretty much what it was. Presley seemed to want to speak more than she was allowed to. She came across as rather chilly. At one point saying of the rumor that she is attempting to induct Jackson into Scientology. It's crap. She also said people could eat it if they didn't believe it. Like the idea that she was trying to get him into Scientology was crap.
0: I do remember that being a, a rumor.
3: Yeah, well. Wanted
0: him in Scientology or wanted his money in it? I, I remember that being a prevalent theory um, speculation at the time. For
3: sure, which is interesting because i feel like it's only been in like maybe the last 15 to 20 years that really scientology has uh entered the public zeitgeist you know and it's only been since like leah remini and her book troublemaker kind of started making waves and then she had the show and then they had the, the documentary and everything so it's like really the scientology's been around since what the 50s, early 60s, something like that. And it's just now really becoming like a buzz. Well, not even like a buzzword, but it's it's, like I said, it's it's become something that is in the public zeitgeist. And uh, funny enough, we live like really close to the Scientology Center. If you go get gas while you're pumping gas, they will try to recruit you. (laughs) Have you tried to be recruited yet, honey, getting gas? No, I may just
4: have this look of don't bother me. I don't know. (laughs) But from what I understand, the recruitment efforts, this is my understanding, have been curbed because they've been met with hostility in a lot of places.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's more prevalent in like, because we live in Los Angeles too. LA and Florida. Yeah. yeah, LA and Florida, two like big centers for for Scientology. So, you know, from what I understand of the church, Michael Jackson probably would have been a pretty big get, but Uh, You know, for the fact that he already rejected the Jehovah's Witnesses, I think they might not have seen him as an easier target because he had already dealt with that in his life. So at times he and Presley like poked each other in a way that was meant to look playful and Jackson made devil horns with his fingers behind her head. They also say that they had planned to have children someday, but uh, Presley was not pregnant at the time, even in the depths of what Sawyer called Jackson's agony over child abuse rumors. I was never suicidal. Jackson said, I love life too much. And I have rhinoceros skin. And then saying that of course, triggered the old question about the vitiligo and Sawyer asked him about the last, the, the lack of pigmentation late in the program and alluded to all of Jackson's plastic surgeries, because it seems like people can only fixate on like four aspects of Michael Jackson's life at one time. You know, I feel like he pretty much covered this whole thing about vitiligo. With Oprah and now you're just rehashing stuff and it's got to be painful for him for that to be the focus on such a national platform to have to explain again like this is why I don't have pigmentation I'm not bleaching my skin and so she also alluded to his plastic surgeries and uh, Presley said her husband is an artist and that he has re-sculpted himself. Jackson also said that all those stories that have been printed about him in the tabloids It's garbage, it's junk, it's stupid, and so on. And for the video for the song Scream, which we'll get to in just a little bit, uh, that featured his sister, Janet, dancing around in a spaceship For four minutes. And in the video, Michael and Janet morph into one another. Janet jumps off of the toilet and Michael swats a hockey puck at Vase. It's his protest against all the media attention and speculation we were informed. So, this actually came out after the release of the video for Scream, which always happens way earlier than I remember it happening. And I don't know why I thought it came out in like 1997, but apparently Scream came out in like, you know, 94.
4: Yeah, that always shocks me too. I thought it was even later. I thought I would have thought it was yeah. later. Yeah. yeah,
3: well, I think what happened is, and we're going to talk about this probably in the next episode because I have to have some sort of music in the next episode. So we'll focus on stream really the next time. Also shown in this was the wildly wacko, even for Jackson, promotional film designed to herald his new album, History, Past, Present, Future, book one, which features hordes of adoring worshiping fans huddled around a huge statue of Jackson. At this point, Sawyer compared the film to Lenny Riefenstahl's Nazi propaganda epic Triumph of the Will. Oh boy, that's a Oof. comparison
4: you, uh, you don't want to chase.
3: I have thoughts on Lenny Riefenstahl, but this is not a cinema podcast. So his response to being compared to Lenny Riefenstahl, he, he said, it's art, it's art. Okay. He also declared, I want everybody's attention. And that's not hard to believe. Elizabeth Taylor showed up again, as she did on the Winfrey Jackson program, only this time on tape. Seemingly photographed through a towel (laughs) and attesting further still to Jackson's wonderfulness as a human being. There's also an extreme listless and wooden footage of the Jackson Priestly nuptials as they were. And that was pretty much the end of that. So Honestly, when it came to the dateline thing, i I just think it was pretty much the same thing as the Oprah Winfrey. Like she didn't really cover any new ground except for with the, you know trying to talk more about the allegations against Michael. But she didn't bring anything new to the table. doesn't just, sound like? Yeah. It. so so that was pretty much. That In 1995, Sony released History, Past, Present, and Future Book One. I want to say right now, you guys remember what happened with Frank and John, right? Like they said, hey, you should do this decades thing and it'll take pressure off of you. And he was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not crazy about the formula. Like it was supposed to be, you know, a collection of his greatest hits off of each album and then a couple of new songs. And he was like, I'm not wild about this. That's what history is.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. But but it does have... One of my favorite
3: Michael Jackson songs. We can get to that later. We might talk about it. Mm -hmm. All right. So for those who don't know or are keeping count at home, this is his ninth studio album. And it was released on June 20th, 1995. And this was the fifth album to be released through Epic Records. And it was his first that was uh, off of his own private label, which was the MJJ Productions. It comprised of two discs. History Begins, A Greatest Hits Compilation, and History Continues, which was new material written and produced by Jackson and his collaborators. And that album includes appearances by Janet Shaquille O'Neal, Slash, and the Notorious B.I.G. And then the genres that he kind of pulled from were R&B, pop, hip-hop, elements of hard rock and funk rock. The themes include environmental awareness, isolation, greed, suicide, injustice, and Jackson's conflicts, and common ground with the media. History debuted at the number one slot on the Billboard Top 200 and among 19 other countries six singles were released including the protest song earth song and they don't care about us and scream which is a duet with uh him and his sister becoming the first song to debut in the top five on the Bob- billboards hot 100s reaching number five and here's something crazy are we ready for a fun fact something crazy Wait. fun fact. you were not alone was the first song in history to debut at number one on the billboard hot 100 chart with the first song ever yep it was it was jackson's final number one single on the chart though the album received generally positive reviews the lyrics of they don't care about us drew accusations of uh, anti-semitism to which jackson responded that his lines had been misinterpreted and then he actually replaced them on later pressings. I'm not going to say what he said, but I do want to talk about a song called "You Are Not Alone." It's an R&B ballad that was written by Eek R. Kelly. Uh, well, but, I mean, at the time that was fine, but this time, oh uh, on, yeah, no, at the
0: time yeah. you you would you would have de- very much desired having him write a song for you for sure. Yeah, y-
3: Yeah, well, this is con- yeah, this yes,
0: is yes. The context of of him is a little different now than it would have been 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, so, it hasn't aged well.
3: Yeah, I don't think at this point, though, he had even married Aaliyah yet when she was underage. So I think we're still in okay R. Kelly territory that we know of that we know of. Yeah,
4: (laughs) I think it's like the peak of his career at this point. I mean, he was he was doing really well at this time.
3: I don't actually think he had hit yet. When did when when uh, did Space Jam come out? (laughs)
0: 90, 90 about 93 30, i he, yeah. he he was he was an own quantity by now okay yeah he he he. i remember hearing r kelly stuff around 92
3: 93 somewhere in there Fair. yeah because i i remember um i believe i can fly right and i think that was like the first r kelly song i had known but then this is even prior to remix uh ignition which is a great song sadly but uh, but yeah, this was a couple years before Ignition happened. And so um, getting back to the song, R. Kelly had written it for Jackson in response to difficult times in his own personal life. Kelly had sent a demo tape to Jackson who liked the song and decided to produce it with him in his Chicago studios. Uh, Jackson's interest in the song was also linked to events in his personal life. The music video, which features Jackson and his then wife, Lisa Marie Presley, featured scenes of semi-nudity, can I just talk about one thing and and I might lose some listeners here, but like the I love the song. it's one of my I, I love I love, love, love this song. It's beautiful. the the sentiment is incredible, but the one thing I can't get over is Michael Jackson's Nipples.
4: And that's the yeah. divisive topic in everything we've
3: covered. Yep. I mean, have you seen the video? The nipples are the stars. It's been a while. I've not seen it recently. Look at my nipples. That may as well have been. (laughs) That may as well been how the song went. If yeah, really, it really could have. The song itself is beautiful, but like the music video, I'm just like nipples. I'm sorry. Like I know that that shouldn't be the takeaway from the song, but when you watch the music video, you're just like, oh, his nipples. I can read (laughs) our podcast when we release this episode.
4: The the subheading
3: nipples. (laughs) Nipples. I'm sorry. Um, you Are Not Alone received generally positive reviews, and it was the recipient of a Grammy and an American Music Award nomination. It holds the Guinness Book of World Records as the first song to debut at number one on the Hot 100 and was certified platinum by the R.I.A.A. Everybody you knows did that. it! Yeah, I did yes. it! <laughs>
4: It <laughs> 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 sounded from in there like the secret word from Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, thank you guys, thank you, thank you, yay! I did something good. Um, it also topped the charts in Australia, uh, Austria, Belgium, France, Ireland, New Zealand, Poland, Romania, Scotland, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom. And it was re-released in 2006 as part of Jackson's box set, Visionary: The Video Singles. And then, because of that, re entered the charts in the UK at number 30. You Are Not Alone is his 13th and final number one US single during his lifetime. And after his death in 2009, Kelly actually paid tribute, including a version of the song on his album Love Letter in 2010. And in 2011, a clip of the song was remixed with the Jackson song, I Just Can't Stop Loving You. The final immortal version was released on the immortal album and so let's give that song a listen here is michael jackson from history this is you are not alone another day
2: has gone
3: All right, and we are back.
0: To, uh, to quote uh, an old uh, bit from Saturday Night Live circa 93, 94, called Opera Man. Nippala, 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 nippala.
3: That is all I can see. It's a beautiful song, but the music video is just so nipple heavy. I can't. Oh, by the way, if you're playing a drinking game at home, take a shot every time I say the word nipple.
4: Yep, and you're probably under the table by now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> now, the music video was, oh, what, are, what are our thoughts on that song? Let's, let's talk about the song for a second, and we'll talk about the video. It's a good song. Yeah, I feel like it's it's, it's very pretty. It's very pretty, and the, the consensus within the text, like the comments in the YouTube section of the, the video that I was just watching, are pretty much just like, this is a beautiful song and it comforted me when, and people are giving examples. Of, Until I
0: had to say his nipples. Is that, is that on there? No, no,
3: no. But like, okay. it's it like uh, one of them is like, my mom used to listen to the song when she missed her mother who passed away of lung cancer. Now I listen to the song because my mother passed away from lung cancer. Uh, and so it's like a yeah. multi generational kind of like, it's a comforting song. It's saying, like, you're not alone. I'll be there for you even if we're not together, just know that, you know, I hold you hold a place in my heart and I hold a place in yours. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful message. And so that, that puts that song in the Pantheon of my favorite Michael Jackson songs. Um, Because I think he is at the best when he is vulnerable and quiet, you know, and he, he lets his, he lets his emotions shine through, not even so much quiet as just like, when he lets his emotions shine through, even when it's something as um, vicious as the next song that we're going to talk about, but when he is just a, puts it all on the table and he's honest about it, I feel like those are the, the songs that are really, really beautiful. Like he has you know, very strong thoughts on color in the music industry. And that came out in black and white, like, you know, he, he was tired of racism and he, had he took a lot of issue in the past with racism? So, anytime like he puts his emotions out there, I feel like those are the songs that more people connect with and then more people can understand. Like, and we're going to talk about Scream in just a little bit, but I'm going to touch on that actually, not this episode because we'll just talk where I'm going to put Scream in a different area when it gets remixed in 1997. Because in my head, that's when it came out and that's when it was remixed. So but but Scream was just a good song, but I really can't relate to it as far as the reason why he wrote it, which was because of the media. But who can't connect with, I love someone who's not here. Everybody can.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
3: The music video was directed by Wayne Isham on the 12th of July, 1995, and it begins with a large number of paparazzi taking photos of Michael Jackson. And the plot centers around two locations, a temple where Jackson appears in a semi-nude scene with his wife, Lisa Marie, and then a theater where he's performing the song to an empty hall. Jackson also appears alone in other locations, such as the desert and along tide pools, the slightly extended version that appears on History on Film Volume 2 is notable for the scenes where there are special effects given to Jackson's given Jackson's white feathery almost angelic wings. Several of these scenes included Jackson's side having been pierced with an arrow and the other version of the video is included on Number 1's and Michael Jackson's Vision. The temple scenes were an homage to Maxwell Parrish's 1922 painting Daybreak. The theater scenes were filmed at the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles, which we just went to. That's where that was shot. Yeah, the video no, was. No kidding. Yeah, the video was shot in Mike, and it's you can tell because of the ceiling.
4: I'm gonna have to look again now that I have that knowledge.
3: Yeah, uh, it's it's fun once you can like when you know shooting locations. You're like, I know this place, and it happens more often when you live in Los Angeles. But yeah, it's number one. The Pantages is an absolutely gorgeous theater, and when you feel when you when you go into the theater you feel its history and it's it's such a gorgeous theater like it's a great I, place
4: to see a show yeah.
3: it's a beautiful place to see a show and maybe on our next lap notes uh, we will actually go into detail about why we were at the pantages I don't even know if we've talked to people about why we were there but let's just say it was in America and I learned about 50 ways to leave your lover can't and me and Julio are down by the schoolyard but there were no sounds of silence Honey, stop me. Uh,
4: I, 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 I'm trying to add to it. I'm not trying to stop it. That's the problem.
3: Oh, you're trying to add to it? Yeah.
4: I mean, it's like you had diamonds on the soles of your shoes. I
3: I really wish they had lit uh, cameras in there because I totally would have used my Kodachrome. i learned a lot about America. <laughs> All right. So, also in 1995, another album was released, which was Manfred Man's Original Hits by Manfred Man's Earth Band. Yeah! Ah! Yeah! Ah!
0: Oh, it's always good. Uh, oh, you just think that guy was out of nowhere.
4: I didn't say that was coming at all.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
4: <laughs> it was. We, we were lulled into a false sense of security and then bam.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You, you thought I forgot, but I actually remembered this time. <laughs> so uh, who gets to do it? Uh, who would like to do it? TJ, would you like to do it?
0: Sure. Why not? Right. Ladies and ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference to the podcast has been t- 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 as a twist of that,
3: <clears throat> that's yeah i did not see that one coming very very interesting i, I love that we're workshopping this one day manford man's actually going to record that and we are we're going to celebrate that day and, <laughs> and then we won't, and then we won't,
0: we won't have to uh, do that anymore right
3: <laughs> please manford man please all right well getting back to something Slightly more serious. By December of 1995, Jackson and Lisa Marie were done. Lisa Marie filed for divorce from Michael on January 18th, 1996, uh, citing irreconcilable differences as the reason. Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley have mutually agreed to go their separate ways. However, they remain good friends, her publishers told the press the next day. The pair finalized the divorce on August 20th, 1996. That's no longer
0: than I actually remembered, to be honest with you. But.
3: Um, yeah, it seemed, uh, also we were kids, so time seemed to go by a little bit faster.
4: Yeah, and yet I thought it was shorter. I thought they were
0: married for a couple of years at least. I...
3: Yeah, no, year and a half, which honestly, like, I thought they were married for like months. I like genuinely thought it was months. So I
0: thought it was like a share Greg Olman situation where they were married for like a day, <laughs> or whatever it was. And
4: then he went to get <laughs>
0: cigarettes and just peed. Yeah, out. he went to go. He went to go uh, get a painkiller for a bad tooth and it never came back.
3: Well, what was it? Britney Spears was married for like twenty six hours
0: in Vegas. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah.
3: To a guy named Jason Alexander who did not star on Seinfeld.
0: Yes, not that Jason Alexander.
3: Yeah. Can
4: you imagine if that happened, though? Oh, my goodness. That uh, would have uh... been amazing. <laughs> All right. In September of
3: 1996, Michael embarked on a new worldwide concert for the History Tour. And the first leg of that became uh, began in... Prague, Czech Republic, and the first leg would end in Honolulu in January of 1997. The second leg would begin in Germany in May and end in Dubai, South Africa in October of 1997. So this was going to be a massive tour. During the tour, Michael would perform 82 concerts in 58 cities in front of four and a half million fans, and it was a grueling schedule. All told, he would visit five continents in 35 countries. Wow. So the world tour began just a few months after his divorce was finalized. Michael again made headlines with a bombshell revelation. A woman was carrying his baby. Debbie Rowe was five months pregnant, which means she and Michael had been working on a baby when he was still technically married to Lisa. Debbie explained, I said, you deserve to be a father. Let me do this for you. Let me have your baby. He was surprised, but he said, yes, let's do this. So, who is this Debbie? Debbie Rowe was born in Spokane, Washington, the daughter of daughter of Barbara Chilcutt and Gordon Rowe. Her father divorced her mother a few weeks before her second birthday, and she was raised by her mother, a few aunts, and her maternal grandmother. Rowe first married Richard Eldman in 1982 and converted to Judaism. The couple divorced six years later in 1988. And Roe met Michael while working as an assistant in Arnold Klein's dermatology office where Michael had been being treated for vitiligo. She recalled after Jackson's divorce from Lisa Marie Presley that he was upset that he might not become a father. Roe was a longtime Jackson fan, proposed to him that she bear his children. In an interview with Playboy, Lisa Marie stated that she knew at the time that she and Jackson were married that Roe wanted to have his children and that Roe had a crush on him. Apparently, Debbie's existence in Michael's life and the fact that she was going to give birth to one of his children was revealed when she was tricked into discussing this, and one of her friends actually taped the conversation. So, how effed up is that? What, and she was five months pregnant?
0: I Sorry, I'm doing that's the math a, That's on a this. true yeah. friend there, buddy.
3: Yeah, wow.
0: I'm going to secretly record a conversation and uh, make public some uh, super private stuff that you don't want anybody to know. I'm, uh, I'm your friend.
3: Was it just during this time? It was just like, oh, well, Linda Tripp did it. So, which, by the way, is the second time we've mentioned Linda Tripp on this podcast.
0: That's no, a new I think record. People, I think people have people have done stuff like this for a really long time.
3: Well, Nixon did it all the time.
0: It goes back uh, as long as there is an ability to record things, essentially. Yeah, pretty much.
3: Probably, yeah. yeah. So it was announced that Roe was pregnant in 1996. So you might be asking where his family is because I really haven't actually talked about his family a whole lot on this episode. Well, Catherine was still a devout Jehovah's Witness and she was not happy to learn that her son was fathering a child with a woman that he was not married to. She said, it broke my heart. I just won't have it. I just won't have it. And after the news broke of debbie's pregnancy catherine tried to reach michael overseas but that was difficult because of his tight schedule catherine actually managed to find debbie who she had met on a few occasions at a neighbor's apartment when she was hiding out from the media which of course like if you hear oh my god some rando woman's having michael jackson's baby you're not going to stay at your house for a while right i I, probably not uh (laughs) i mean
4: this situation is so
3: bizarre it is when she was found, she gave her about a half hour of her time. So she talked to Debbie about the sanctity of marriage and about Jehovah's Witness. And in fact, Debbie was impressed. By the time she had ended the conversation, she had not only agreed that it would be best if she married Michael, but she was actually ready to convert to Jehovah's Witness. So when Catherine was actually able to get a hold of Michael, She said that, you know, maybe marrying the nice girl, Debbie, would be a good thing. And to please make sure to name your child, not like your poor half sister. Because remember, Joe had had an affair and side lady gave birth to Giovanni And I don't think Joe was present at the birth of a child or had any kind of influence on the name of the child. Like, I think he just wasn't present for that. So Catherine didn't want Michael's child to feel the same way that Giovanni did. So uh, Michael never wanted to repeat the sins of his father. And so he agreed to marry Debbie. What I'm about to launch into is actually what Michael Jackson's intentions were initially when it came to Debbie. Initially, his intent was to have a surrogate mother who was just like a close friend doing him a favor by having a baby, and then she would just give him the child to raise. After the birth, he intended on issuing a statement and keeping the mother's identity a secret in the same way that most surrogate mothers are protected. A good example of what he and Debbie intended was the way that they handled identifying The same woman who gave birth to his very, very blonde third child. We don't know who that mother is, who the mother of Michael Jackson's third child is.
4: We really don't?
3: No, no one knows who, no one knows who the mother is because she carried him to term and then handed him over to Michael. We don't know, but she's not Debbie. She's definitely the mother of his third child is not Debbie. The fact is he didn't marry her either. So there were significant differences the third time around because- We will get into his actual kids on the next episode. While speaking to her on the phone one day, Michael insisted that Debbie keep her plan to visit him in Australia. And in fact, you know what? Just take the next plane. So she agreed to meet him at the Sheridan at the Park Hotel, where the Jackson contingency occupied up to 40 rooms. However, she did not know that she would be marrying him. She was surprised when she got there and he told her of his plan. She called her friend Tanya Boyd on November the 12th and said, guess what? I'm marrying Michael Jackson tomorrow. <laughs> I asked her if, and uh, this is from Tanya's point of view. This is a quote from Tanya. I asked her if she loved him and she thought it over for a minute and said, yes, I do. Sort of. And so Tanya pushed romantically. She paused again and said, the kind of love I have for Michael is bigger, more important than that. It's not the kind that most people can understand. Most affairs end. This relationship Will never end. The night before the wedding, Jackson had called Lisa Marie Presley, who gave him and Roe her blessing. In front of 15 friends, the pair exchanged vows at the hotel. An eight year old boy named Anthony, which was Jeff Jackson's nephew, served as the best man. Most of the public media's reaction to the marriage was negative. Some believe that Michael was marrying a person he didn't love and that Roe was having a baby who the child might not have been biologically Michael Jackson's. So to round off this episode, I wanted to talk about a song that we've actually alluded to multiple times, and this was one of his songs that we, we consider maybe his most emotional and his most dangerous song. And this is from the history album, and that's called They Don't Care About Us. This is the fifth single from Michael Jackson's album, History, Past, Present, Future, Book One, which was released on April 16, 1996. It is a protest song and remains one of the most controversial pieces that Jackson has ever composed. In the U.S., media scrutiny surrounding the allegations of anti-Semitic lyrics were the catalyst for Jackson issuing multiple clarifications and apology and events from Spike Lee and re-releasing the song with a new vocal featuring altered lyrics. The singer countered allegations of anti-Semitism, arguing that reviews had been misinterpreted because of the context of the song, either intentionally, unintentionally, or deliberate. They Don't Care About Us was accompanied by two music videos directed by Spike Lee. The first was shot in two locations in Brazil, the historic city of Salvador, and then a flavela of Rio de Janeiro called Santa Marta, where the state authorities had tried to ban all productions over the fear that the video would damage their image, the area, and the prospects of Rio de Janeiro staging the 2004 Olympics. Still, the residents of the area were very happy to see the singer, hoping that their problems would be made visual to a wider audience. The second video was shot in a prison and contained video footage from multiple references to human rights abuses. Commercially, They Don't Care About Us had been a top ten hit in all European countries and number one in the Czech Republic. Germany, Hungary, and Italy. In the U.S., the song peaked on number 30 on the Billboard Hot 100. They Don't Care About Us was performed as a medley with Scream and In the Closet during Jackson's third and final concert series, the History World Tour, which ran from 1996 to 1997. The song was set to be performed on Michael Jackson's This Is It Comeback Concert Series at the O2 Arena in London from July 2009 to March 2010, but the shows were canceled due to his sudden death. They Don't Care About Us was remixed with parts of songs such as Privacy from the album Invincible and Tabloid Junkie from History and released on the Immortal album in November 2011. The song gained national attention and relevance due to its use in the Black Lives Matter protests in 2014 and then again in 2020. So that's where we're going to end the episode today. What are our thoughts, Will? why don't you go first? What is our part and thoughts on, you know, the relationship between him and Debbie Rowe or at least Mary Presley or your thoughts on history?
4: Well, I actually knew very little about the relationship with Debbie Rowe. I don't know if at that point in my life, I was just focused on other things. I knew that he had a child. Uh, and honestly, I kind of, in the past, muddied the two relationships between Debbie and uh, Lisa Marie together. so you know this is clarification for me on when things happened and just how they unfolded especially with the dubious timeline of the birth of Michael's baby and his the disillusion of his marriage to uh, Lisa Marie So uh, some details there. Uh, one of the things you said LD that stuck with me was Michael Jackson's music is best when it's like its most kind of stripped down emotional quality. So uh, the final thing I'll say is about the history album it does have one of my favorite Michael Jackson songs which is unique to that album. So it is not a previous release. And that song, I believe, is as stripped down as it gets. And there's just a very, I think, relatable and exposed emotional core there. And that song is Stranger in Moscow. I love that song.
3: Such a good song. Yeah. Good song. All right. And uh, TJ, what are your part and thoughts?
0: I had honestly forgotten that he and Debbie got married. I have to be honest. I, I forgot that even happened. Yeah. I just thought she had, I just thought she had his kids yeah or same yeah or had kids that he raised or whatever happened yeah i mean i remember all this stuff from from when it happened that there were a lot of people implying there were ulterior motives to having the children to his first marriage to his second marriage but of course course that's all speculation because nobody really knows Mm -hmm.
4: um
0: but i would kind of agree that um angry michael or introspective michael or whatever probably made the best music to me yeah yeah and again thriller's a great album fantastic great album a lot of those songs are just they're just great pop songs Mm -hmm. i think now billy jean was a little driven by some real life experiences but that's why i would say i probably prefer you know bad we've had that discussion already but because the songs are a little more personal and mm-hmm. not just nice sounding pop songs necessarily
3: yeah and the in, thing so, in is in most cases if i'm listening to this Thriller album the th- if i'm listening to thriller the song that i'm actually gonna start with is human nature which mm-hmm. kind of tracks with what i said you know because it's it's one of those ones that i feel like he was more attached to right you know thriller is a great song but it's a kitschy song it's a song that you play at halloween like it's got something tied to it you know whereas human nature is just a beautiful song And that's the one that I gravitate more to. Um, One thing I will say that the only reason why I didn't put it in the episode was because I could only find one source that said it. But from what I understand, Debbie actually had a miscarriage prior to becoming pregnant with uh, Prince. I don't know if that actually happened or if there was like an emotional weight that was carried with that. So I couldn't confirm it. And I just didn't have uh, the time to try to dig and find you know sources that weren't tagging off this one article so you know i guess my parting thought is that i felt like michael when it came to the marriage of lisa marie presley michael kind of felt like he had to do it and i feel like he also felt like he had to marry debbie you know when it came to lisa marie he was getting all this pressure from the court cases and what was happening with the the chandler family
0: the the timing did seem convenient
3: it yeah. yeah it did it seemed a little strange, but like in theory, that pairing would have been great. Like, yeah, of course, who else is going to understand you and what you went through as a child better than someone who went through almost the exact same thing, you know, being that child in the spotlight to one of the most famous people in the history. Of, I would say the history of the world, not if not music, you know, everybody knows who Elvis is. Here's uh, uh,
0: no history. History of the world is very accurate. His, yes history of the world
3: <laughs> like <laughs> like the Mel Brooks movie yeah. yes <laughs> so you know that, that seemed like it would have been a perfect pairing had it not been surrounded by so much controversy and then his marriage to Debbie Rowe the reason why he did it was because basically his mom was like you need to marry this woman because she's pregnant with your child you know because this is in the eye of God in the eyes of God this ain't a good look. And so, I think you know, his mother is the one person who knows exactly which button to push to make Michael do something. She knows how to talk to him, to get him to have the outcome that is necessary. So, when it came to his marriages, I think both of them were were not great. And as far as history goes, I think that the fact that he had scoffed at the idea of decades when it was brought to his attention, And he just kept putting it off, kept putting it off, kept putting it off until now. It was, what was the motive behind putting out history? Was it to, you know, create something that was the retrospective that you really wanted to be involved in? Or was it to be like, here, take, here's something, take the attention off of this that I'm going through now. You know, it's just, again, people are going to hate me, but when it comes to his motives in this episode, I have. Uh, a lot of questions about yeah him. for sure
0: i would the only thing i would say is that at the time uh greatest hits albums were really big business too so oh, yeah so he's essentially you know pairing a new album with the greatest hits one so it may have it may have also had to do with marketing and sales and stuff like that wasn't somewhat. this about
3: the same time that the eagles put out Hellfreeze freeze do Hellfreeze over
0: uh Hill over came out in about 90 it was 94 95 somewhere yeah, so
3: yeah about the same time yeah yeah. And so, it was
0: that was basically a greatest hits album, a live greatest hits album sort of yeah. with a couple of new songs mixed well, in. I yes. also
4: think it's when the Allman Brothers released their greatest hits and it went utterly bananas.
0: And Tom Petty had put his out and right around this time which Fleetwood Mac. Know, 12 million copies and Van Halen put their put out the greatest hits out. but these those those were huge sellers at the time. So may, you know there may have been a marketing and sales angle to that decision too and, and
4: i think it's also emblematic of you you know kind of touched on it and i just wanted to explore it a bit more is that michael jackson's whole life has been people telling him what to do you know and, and i think that in a way is sort of the motivation behind him making these completely rebellious decisions kicking people out that are close to him you know doing these things just because he wants to do them i think again he's been in a situation where his whole life he was told what to do every step of the way
3: yeah and it's still going on it's still happening. He's still got people that are behind the scenes being like, this is probably what you should do, even if it is his mother, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's where we're going to button up the episode. That's uh, where we're going to close out this week. And so we're going to end our episode with the song that we just talked about, which is They Don't Care About Us. And I will say, you know, there is, you know, depending on what, what version gets dropped in here, I do suggest listener discretion. Again, it is a very emotional, it's an emotionally raw song and there might be lyrics in there that could be possibly offensive. And of course, that's never our goal to offend or hurt anybody. So uh, we will be ending on that song, but let's uh, wrap up with our socials. Uh, If you would like to donate to our Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. Our Twitter is rock and roll LT. Instagram, rock and roll, heaven, LT, uh, come talk to us on Facebook. We, you got three of us on there that really like to engage with you guys. And so I guess the question that I will post to you this week on our Facebook page is, uh, what do you guys think of Michael Jackson's marriages? You know, you know, it's a very broad topic, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And, uh, you can check us out on Facebook at rock and roll, heaven pod. I'm still not saying our website, And you can check out all of our fun facts and et cetera on the rock and roll heaven pod over at TikTok. That's again, all one word, rock and roll heaven pod. You can also email us rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com and make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And I will say, guys, Um, I guess I can announce this now. I did post it on my personal social media, but uh, I am now producing a new podcast. Uh, I'm an assistant producer for a new podcast. It's called Basic the Podcast. And we get to sit down with some of the people that helped create and form basic cable shows uh, thus far. I don't think I'm allowed to tell you who we've talked to so far, but I can tell you guys it is uh, an amazing fun thing to be able to sit down and listen to some of the people that are some of the veterans of the entertainment industry and just listening to their insight. And so guys, please, that's going to be coming out on May 18th on the Sirius XM channel. And I do believe I'll probably be able to post it up on social media at some point, but we do have some amazing guests and I'm truly blessed. And so you know, I want to thank Pantheon for giving me that opportunity to be a part of something so hey, amazing. Hey, Will. Hey, will, it will,
0: yeah. Do do you, do you feel like uh, LD got called up to the big leagues, and me and you were still schlepping around the minors on a bus going to a three game weekend series in Tidewater?
4: Yeah, it does feel that way. We're we're playing the Missoula Mudslingers while LD is going up to the Yankees. Yep,
0: yep, we're <laughs> yep, we're, we're we're riding the bus to to, to go play a, a four game set with the Wichita Wind Surge, <laughs> uh-huh. which is which is a real team, by the way. Yeah,
4: I made up the Missoula mudslingers. It could be a team for all I know,
0: but... uh, the <laughs> Missoula is the Osprey,
4: the Osprey. Okay.
0: Yes. I, I actually knew a kid that played for the Missoula Osprey at one point, believe it or not. Uh,
4: but either way, yes, I feel like we have been, we have been left in the dust. Of course, oh. the best,
0: the best baseball team, it's not a minor league team. I think it's a college summer league team. The best team name in the history of the world is the Macon Bacon.
3: That's pretty fantastic. That's amazing. And since they're, we're moving to Georgia, ba- the, I will go the, to again. They're
0: literally the bacon.
3: We're, since we're moving to Georgia, I will go see, I, I will go and cheer for and purchase merchandise from the Macon bacon. The Macon
0: bacon. They're also the,
4: the Savannah sand gnats in the same state.
0: Yes, there are. Yes, okay. yes. And the
3: are,
4: Savannah bananas.
0: The
3: bananas, yes. <laughs> all right, on that note, guys. Uh, We would like to say thank you from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven. TJ, do you have anything you would like to say to the audience? Bye, everybody. Mr. Will the Thrill.
4: Thank you, everyone. We will see you next time. Until then, be
3: good. All right. And so, again, I'm going to leave you guys with Michael Jackson's They Don't Care About Us. Just remember, we care about you. That is all. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week where we'll be covering the birth of Michael Jackson's kids and hopefully about five more years of his life um again please come see us on social media we we really like talking to you guys and so from all us here at rock and roll heaven all of you there at home we love you all have a great week stay safe don't do anything stupid and uh see you next time.
1: sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Sports Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sportsbook in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Sports Sportsbook at I-270 and MD85 in Frederick right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to bedfredsports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.